And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. If you listen to the show a lot, you know I'm getting a little bit older. And I grew up on the Jetsons. When I would watch the Jetsons, they had Rosie. And she took care of that family. And the Jetsons lived a life that was full of robotics, full of futuristic everything. And robots were everywhere. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the current state of robotics. And before we do that, I do want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. With me today, I have Ian Bernstein. Ian is the founder and head of product at Misty Robotics, and they are building the robot for everyone. They're also on Startup Hustle's list of top Denver startups, even though they are slightly outside of the city limits in the adjacent city of Boulder. Ian, welcome to Startup Hustle. Yeah, thanks for having me. I guess I should welcome your robot as well. Misty, welcome to Startup Hustle. (laughs) There we go. There we go. So, you know, I like to say that no one tells the backstory of the business and what brought you up to where we are today better than the founder of the company. So, Ian, what's your backstory? Um, I mean, actually very similar to you. I mean, I grew up with the Jetsons, um, these robots and films and, and, you know, Star Wars, of course, BB-8 and R2-D2 and, um, I, I actually homeschooled when I was a kid. So in fourth grade, I, I started homeschooling. And when I was 12, uh, my dad hooked me up with this guy who taught uh, electronics. Um, and I started learning about the basics, resistors and capacitors and circuits. And, and, uh, a few months into that, he, he got a flyer for this robotics competition that was going to be going on in uh, a couple hours from where I grew up in New Mexico went the first day to sort of check it out and they had a workshop where we learned how to, I actually learned how to build my first robot and just totally hooked after that. So I would just spend my days taking apart broken electronics and pulling out motors and components out of broken, broken VCRs and cassette players and stuff and, and built websites to teach other people how, how to build robots and still, still doing it today. So when it comes to the current state of robotics, before we get into that, what's the current state at Misty Robotics? Like what, what do you guys do? What's your mission? I mentioned earlier, you have a tagline of building the robot for everyone, but maybe yeah. let us know what that, that really means. Yeah. So, I mean, over the years, like we've, we've, we've had this promise of robots from these films, right? Robots that we see in movies, but we're, we're not there yet. And, and one of the problems that we saw is that, there's no platforms. There's no robot platforms out there that people can build off of. And we saw the power of a platform with personal computers, right? Back, back in the, the 70s, 
um, in early eighties when, uh, you know, at the beginning it was just guys in the girls in the homebrew computer clubs soldering together and creating computers. Like, like we're kind of still doing for the most part with in robotics. And it was really with the Apple, really the Apple II, um, when people could just buy a computer that really just worked. And at that point, people didn't have to worry about the hardware and building the building the computer anymore. They could start to focus on the software, which really enables computers to do all the things that we use computers for today, right? Um, and even then, it took several years to get to VisiCalc, where which is sort of the, the first killer application for computers and spreadsheets. Um, but we're doing the same thing for robots, like creating this robot platform, which is Misty. This is Misty 2. Um, creating a robot that just works, that enables software developers to build out the skills for the robot in all these different applications that we'll, we'll have robots for in the future. So, and we're not live streaming this, this particular episode, but I can very much see a robot. Now, if you want to learn, if you want to meet Misty or Misty 2, go to mistyrobotics.com. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, that's, it's a cool little robot. Like, you know, I mean, it looks, uh, it looks rather humanistic and it's, it has eyes. It's been blinking. It's made a couple comments. Now, um, when it comes to, you know, you talk about like the applications and especially developing applications for the robot, what are some of the common things that people are doing with Misty right now? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can picture in the future, these robots will need to be bigger, more capable to cook and clean and things like that. But right now, um, so Misty has cameras for computer vision. Um, she's sure. on tracks down here. So uh, she's mobile, can drive around and navigate a space um, and can listen. So a microphone array like you might find on your, your Echo or your Google Home um, to respond to voice, voice commands with speakers. So right now we're targeting mostly um, sort of businesses, business applications, and also some personal applications. So most of our customers are in, uh, say, elder care. Um, so example of one of our customers, uh, Salto in Barcelona is working on an application for using these robots in home uh, for, for their elderly in Spain um, to keep, and, and it could be taken around the world as well, but to keep them in home longer out of uh, nursing homes, out of elder care facilities, um, improve the quality of life of the elderly people there. So medicine reminders, safety, using the cameras to do like fall detection, using the microphones to hone in on, you know, somebody yelling for help um, and to be able to communicate with family members or caretakers um, to retail applications that we're exploring now with, uh, with different businesses and retailers. So using the robot um, sort of front, front of office um, to do things like product location, um, answer questions about products, uh, product recommendations and things like that. So when you talk about computer vision, and I don't think a lot of people even know what that is, computer vision is an open source platform. It's been around for a long time. It's basically, uh, it can get, it's really pretty advanced and uh, it creates neural networks that allow computers to see past two dimensions, which also right. means that you could probably program Misty to recognize my face. That's exactly. probably pretty hard and say, hey, Matt, welcome to work today. So I, I can give you an example. So this, this robot right now is running what we call our capabilities demo skill. 
So this is kind of showing off uh, a lot of the features. So if I hit this bumper in the front, this one over here, <laughs> um, she'll snap a picture. We'll, we'll kind of see what happens. <laughs> so she takes a picture. She sends it to Microsoft's. A group of monitors. That's true. I have five monitors in front of me. Um, so she takes a picture. She sends that to Microsoft Cognitive Services, which is doing a computer vision. Um, it's their computer vision API. So it analyzes the image. It generates the context about what she sees. We get that text back. And then we send that text to Amazon's um, text-to-speech engine, which generates the audio. We get that audio file back, and then we, then we speak. Um, that, that was pretty, yeah. that was fast though. I mean, that was fast. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, you yeah. hit, I mean, she, I heard it snap the picture and for it to, I, so that, that's where the application and homes and different stuff, it's almost like, Hey, Misty, what do you see? Exactly. Or so, what, what do you detect? Okay. That's cool. Yeah. So it's, if there's people in front of it, she'll estimate or, you know, through the Microsoft, that particular service, it's estimating age and sex and some other information about, people that it sees and also will identify objects. So, you know, in your background, you probably see posters and, and couches and computers and all that stuff is listed. So depending on what kind of skill you're writing for Misty for your particular application, you can get that context that you need. So is the, is everything written in computer vision or is it C plus plus and different stuff? Like, I mean, what, it, what, it, what's the core platform that's running Misty? Yeah. So if you're, if you're writing a skill that runs on the robot, you're writing it in either JavaScript or C sharp. So those okay. are the languages for the skills that runs on Misty. Um, if you're in, you know, if you want to re get really deep, you can write things in, in Python and, and C and other languages, but, um, yeah, for developers, uh, those are most of the languages you'd be working with. So she's she's cross-platform compatible in many ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's good. That's good. Well, I, uh, the reason I think that's important is you see a lot of, so, you know, we're talking about the current state. I think one of the things that's been challenging is, you know, you get some hardware and you need to create software for it, and it only does one thing. So And, it, and then oftentimes it's been, you know, and I don't want to say it's it, it obscure because there's not a whole lot of like truly boutique uh, tech platforms, but there are when it comes to finding developers. It's already hard enough to find developers. I mean, that's the business I'm in. So I know, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and then if you can only work with one specific type of developer, it becomes pretty limiting. And, yeah. uh, you know, that can be a challenge. Now, you know, it, it kind of pivoting to the current state of robotics is, is that still a problem, the inability for a lot of robotics to operate in different programming languages that are a little more widespread? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not super accessible. I mean, one side is the hardware side, so um, it's very custom right now. So almost every company is building their own hardware. And you go to you know, university programs on the academic side, every university is building their own robotic hardware. And that takes a lot of money and a lot of time just to build the hardware. So most, most people who build robots, they spend 98% of their time building the robot, but then the software is super limited and the robot really doesn't do much of anything because you spend all your time on that side. So 
and, and then the other side is um, on the software side, a lot of people in robotics use what's called ROS, which is the robot operating system, which has a fairly high barrier to entry. And it's not, it's not something that the average programmer would just pick up super quickly. So that's one of the reasons that we chose JavaScript and C Sharp for Misty. So especially JavaScript is one of the most, you know, widely used languages in the world. And you can go on, you know, if you do a Google search, you end up on Stack Overflow and pretty much any, you know, question you have can be answered. So making that a lot more accessible to pretty much any developer versus somebody who's just, you know, have really dug into a sort of a niche thing like Ross. Yeah, and what we find at FullScale, and just for if you're not unaware, FullScale, we help people build development teams. And usually uh, developers that program things that go in hardware are known as Im it's embedded software, like it's embedded in the actual device, which is a level of complexity that is a lot more difficult because you usually have to have the devices and like a whole lot of stuff. So, you know, one of the things, especially in, at the tail end of a pandemic, that was even harder. Like if you had a group of people that, yeah, okay, here's the robot, you know, and it's like, you can walk over and, and do something with it. And now that, you know, teams got dispersed and they're all, you know, the, it's a distributed workforce and was in a lot of cases, you may have to send out 15 robots or something that could be cost-effective or not cost-effective. I don't know. So I mean, so when it comes to the current state of robotics, are you seeing changes like just universally that are be making the accessibility of programming a lot more palatable? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like definitely, definitely with robots like Misty. I mean, we go to, of course, like pre-pandemic, pre we go to um, developer conferences and people can sit down for 15 minutes and get Misty to do interesting things. Um, so, so making it that accessible with, with this platform um, has been has been great to to bring robots to more people, um, and then we have we have uh, well just the robotics um, space in general. With with the pandemic, there's been a lot more interest in robots, so we're seeing um, just general sort of public acceptance of robots using robots for, of course, things over the pandemic, but a lot more interest in automating and creating telepresence. So hybrid workspaces. So using a robot that you could log into um, and sort of participate in in-person meetings through this sort of physical, you know, robot avatar that you're able to log into. Um, so I think it's uh, obviously the pandemic is, is, is horrible for the world. Um, but it has, it has had a positive effect on sort of accelerating sort of acceptance of robots into a lot of different use cases. So you mentioned kind of leveraging uh, voice tech through Amazon and, you know, different computer vision stuff through Microsoft. How many total platforms are you leveraging? Because I, I, I would feel like that would probably speed up not only the accessibility, but also the capability. Yeah, I mean, we we knew that we couldn't like compete on voice, natural language processing, NLP systems, and computer vision, and you know we're we're a small startup, so like our what we're good at is building the robots and building the de development environments around those robots. So we we consciously chose to make our system very agnostic to the back end that somebody wants to use. So yeah, I mean, it's we've done, I mean. 
probably like a hundred different services online from, you know, looking into weather to Wolfram Alpha to Amazon, IBM, Google, like we use everybody's the, pretty much the, whatever the best system is for your particular application. So if you're building a business, maybe you want to do like some sort of business uh, um, voice interaction with the robot, you might choose IBM because it's just sure. ta tailored towards the business side. Or if you want really good language uh, voice, you know, we pick Amazon because we like their text-to-speech engine. Speaking of robots and, and timeframes and pandemics, a little over a year ago, I was in Seoul, which was where some of the pandemic was hitting the hardest. But one of the things in the Seoul airport that I thought was really interesting is they have what I would call almost like full-size, like life-size robots, robots that are like five feet tall and they're, and they drive around on tracks and you go and you go ask them anything you want, you know, and and at that point, they were actually driving around trying to give COVID and coronavirus. It was still called the coronavirus then. Um, but they were, you know, dri walking around the airport. And the airport was pretty empty uh, overall because a lot of travel had cut down. I was on my way to the Philippines. But I just remember these robots. I mean, they were like five, four or five feet tall. And, and they were functioning quite well. I mean, you could walk up to one of them. And I asked one of them where I could go get coffee. And it gave me options. You know, and I thought that was pretty cool. And that's that, I think that kind of uh, use case for, that's what I would call, kind of, it, it felt like a pretty basic robot. I mean, it didn't like carry my bags for me or make the coffee for me, but how far are we away from that? Um, Just I mean, meaning, the meaning the more, the more capable robot, like you mentioned the like cooking, the cleaning, like the, the utilitarian robot so more like the the rosie from the jetsons i mean sure yeah yeah and i, I know that's like that that's a real i know that's a really broad question because it's like what do you want them to do but you i mean you see a lot of interesting robot stuff like our, our cmo at full scale used to work for husk Barna. they have a robot that'll accurately mow your lawn yep i mean i mean that's a start that's a start i'm down with that right there yeah I mean, we're starting to see more robots doing single purpose things, right? Like um, my friend in Boulder lives in a new apartment complex that has one of those mowing robots that's out there all the time. And uh, I have a, a, a Roomba, right? That's vacuuming my floor every Monday and Thursday. Um, there's millions of those robots out. We're starting to see a lot of Missy's getting out into the world, but you know, the, the Rosie where it's, you know, really cooking and cleaning and doing a more sort of general purpose robot it's probably honestly like probably more in like the 30 year time frame i mean we're still we're still a ways out i was thinking 20 30 years just because that i mean that's like a almost like that c3po type robot that probably needs to walk and and have hands and do a number of different things and i think people don't realize how remarkably complex that probably is um, yeah. So overall, when it when it all right, so you're on Misty too now, is that correct? Yeah. So what what advances did you make from one to two? What was what did we learn along the way there? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, we actually, it's kind of a funny story. So we actually started with this Misty two form factor. 
um, with concept drawings and, and working on the molding and the plastics and everything, but because it takes so long to actually um, manufacture a hardware product, right? You just literally have physical limitations where you have to make a mold. A mold takes like three months. So they machine the part out of copper and then the copper uses this electric process where it burns away this hardened steel to make your mold. And it literally takes months, right? So what we decided to do as a startup to get feedback earlier is we were like, well, let's call this one the MISTI 2 and then we'll create a MISTI 1. So the MISTI 1 had a lot of the early electronics that the MISTI 2 had, uh, but it was all just laser cut plastic. Um, so if you search like, you know, Google image search for MISTI 1, you'll see what it looks like. Um, it's sort of like a you know, these plastic pieces slide together like a, like a construction kit. Um, so we got just a few dozen of these out to some early customers to start playing around with the robot and getting some feedback on our APIs and some of the movement of the robot. Um, so it was basically just a, a subset of the features of MISTI 2. Um, okay. Enabled us to sort of get, get that early feedback um, basically like a year before Misty 2 actually launched. So when it comes to your development platform, is this open source? Like, do you, is there a community of people that create, like, do they upload things that can make, you know, like, I don't know, I guess what I'm asking is, are there other developers that I can grab their code and put it in the robot and not have to build it myself? Yeah, a lot of it is. I mean, it's not fully open source, but we provide super deep access to pretty much anything you'd need to get access to. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of our customers are sharing their code on GitHub um, so that people can build off of their code and, sh and share ideas in our community forums. Um, and, and of course, you know, some of our customers are working on actual businesses. Um, so it's, it was, it was a surprise to me that, you know, I thought there would be a, a much longer period of sort of experimentation and just sort of playing around with Misty and trying different things before, you know, before customers really dug into wanting to create real businesses around the robot. But it was, what actually happened was almost immediately our customers jumped in wanting to form businesses either you know as entrepreneurs as small companies or much larger companies that wanted to create uh, lines of business around misty and creating skills so immediately that happened so uh you know it was, it was a little bit of a surprise for us so we you know we had to harden up a lot of our code much quicker than we were expecting um and and, and that whole side of it but yeah so so people are you know, people like Salto and in, in, uh, in Barcelona, to use that example again, like they are building uh, real skills for MISTI that will be deployed. Um, they're in pilot programs now. So once again, for those of you listening, go to mistyrobotics.com. And dude, you've got a great site. I mean, this is like, I mean, it really is. It's very comprehensive. And just to kind of look at this. So like I'm, for example, I'm, I'm looking at, I see a command center and API Explorer skill runner. Now do I, can I actually update my robot from right here on the site? Um, you, so yeah, you go to sdk.mistyrobotics.com, which you're looking at now. Yep. Um, if you had a robot 
locally, you would, you would uh, use your mobile app on your phone to get the IP address of the robot. You put that in the top, um, hit connect, and then, yeah, you can upload programs. Um, you can try out some of the functionality, like train your face uh, for the robot. You can generate maps. Um, if I actually, you know, if I actually opened up, this, this would work as well. I don't have it open right now, but if, if I went to my internet router right now and I opened my port, um, to forward to Misty, I could actually give you my home IP address and you could control it from your computer there. Um, okay. and you can actually, one of our customers, uh, re-robots, so re-robots.net has actually created um, an interface where you can log in to some robots that he has in his office and program those those robots remotely. So he has webcams on them uh, and, and you can do that right now. I mean, it's rerobots.net maybe slash sandbox. Um, so you can, you can try programming your, your robot either in Blockly, Visually or Java, uh, Python and a couple other languages. Yeah, and some of the things that I'm looking at here, I can change the expression, I can program some movements, I can uh, do a lot of stuff related to face detection, face recognition, recording video, taking photos. Now, you know, we started our own TV show around Startup Hustle. It came out on February 1st. For those of you listening, go go over to YouTube and type in Startup Hustle. We've got about 10 episodes of it out. So um, we had have joking been... Uh, we might have to have to add Misty to the cast because we've been saying we need a robot to follow us around because we uh, our show about startups, we're treating the show like it's a startup. So, you know, we don't have a film crew. But if we had a robot, that would work. So, yeah, that's pretty cool, man. It looks like it's uh, ability to record in HD or at least 1080, maybe up to 4K. So. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that some of the like uses as well is like, if you had this, if you had this in the lobby of your office or wherever it could probably there, Misty could probably easily, uh, have some entry and exit protocol. So you could know who was in your building and maybe even if they've left. Exactly. We, we did that exact, um, application early on with, with COVID, um, we decided to see if we could use Misty as a, a health and temperature screener. So how'd that we, go? Uh, it actually worked very well. So we, we took out, so normally up here in this visor, there's a, a structure sensor. So that's the sensor that we use to generate a map and navigate a space. So we replaced that sensor with a high-end thermal camera. And Misty is, in, is actually in a lot of, uh, mostly healthcare facilities around the U.S., um, doing health and temperature screening. So when somebody walks up, she has an entry message. So hello, like, welcome. Hope you're having a great day. Um, says, I need to do a health screening. Um, takes your temperature of your tear ducts, which is the most accurate temperature, you know, spots take temperature um, external on your body. Um, she asks questions. So those are all customizable based on location. So something like... Um, you know, do you have COVID or have you been around somebody with COVID in the last two weeks? Yes or no. Um, so people get screened and then, um, you know, if everything's okay, they can come in. If they're not, she can send, she sends notifications to um, people that work in that facility to come check and, and see what's going on with that person. So those are actually deployed around the U.S. And then when somebody walks out, she's like, 
scale. Bye, have a great day. Um, so we have the sensors on the robot to do that. I mean, the, and that's the kind of stuff that, I mean, if you look at a person's perspective, if you're having to pay someone to stand at the front of your building and do it, uh, well, that adds up. Yeah. That adds up. And there's, and it's also not scalable. And in some cases, you know, I've thought about this a lot since COVID hit, you have these people that are like, they're, they're almost like they're a frontline worker in that case, you know, like, Hey, Oh, Oh, it's my job to make to see if people are currently afflicted with disease and, and germs, you know, and there's, I mean, there's some liability there. Like you got to think about that as a business person. And that's where robots are pretty interesting. Cause it was like, I mentioned the Seoul airport, like, those robots are just kind of cruising around and, and, and doing their thing. And they're, they're an attraction in there. Have you ever seen them, by the way? I like, I feel like they're probably sell now. Um, I, I've been to Seoul a couple times, but I don't think they have the robots then. I've seen a couple robots, like in, uh, I know the San Jose airport um, has a couple. So, yeah. And, and like I said, these, these were big. I mean, I would have had to tell tackle it to knock it over it was a pretty pretty big thing so and that brings up that brings up a, a fair point so how much how much competition do you have with all this um i mean i would say the biggest competition currently is with some single purpose robots in very specific places um so maybe you know you could say like the robots in the Seoul airport are competition in some way for that particular application. Um, but we found that just the cost of MISTI is so much less than most of those solutions. Um, MISTI starts at around $2,000, whereas many of those robots, like the ones in the airports, are you know, $10,000, $30,000, uh, which creates a much lower barrier to entry for, <clears throat> for businesses who want to experiment and try try out some of these um, business lines for them and see, do pilots and see how it works. Um, as far as platform robots, um, again, there's, there's a couple out there that sort of are more on the platform side, but they're just 20, $20, $25,000. So it's, it's a totally, it's a much, much higher barrier for, for people to get into them. So we're, we're seeing kind of the sweet spot with the, with the price point and capabilities of MISTI to get in um, to things like, uh, and, and also like education, uh, where, where affordability is really important. So a lot of uh, people are doing a lot of stuff with education with MISTI. We recently did a, uh, an ex, a, a proof of concept with some, some kids overseas um, who don't have access to a lot of this technology definitely not robots, um, used a system with re-robots. So the re-robots where you can log into a robot remotely, we, he has a, the founder of that company has, an, has another product where you can actually install that system on your own machine. So in my garage, we set up this whole challenge arena um, and we created this whole storyline around, uh, around uh, sp uh, spies, and like computer hacking and like, so the, so three kids could log in. We gave them some background on robots and then they had 45 minutes. Each kid got to be um, the lead programmer for 15 minutes. So they're seeing this external camera view of this challenge arena with Misty 
and then they programmed in Blockly and literally had like no programming experience in so in 15 minutes the first kid like had to drive Misty around and look on the side of this wall and then grab an image from Misty's camera to get some clues about this passcode and who who the the secret agent was and then the next kid had to drive over to the secret agent and speak, speak the code and then the third kid had to drive to the exit um and wave to get picked up by the the drone <laughs> um and it actually worked really well so we're we're thinking about ways that um we can sort of bring you know one example of like super accessibility like we're able to bring this to 12 13 year old kids in rural areas to learn about how to program robots and actually be able to do it hands-on um, remotely. So when it comes to growing and scaling your business, how important is the commercial side of things as opposed to the personal use? Like, is that really where the majority of the growth is? And is that the easier path to revenue? Yeah, we're definitely seeing um, a lot more growth on the commercial side. I mean, even though Misty is $2,000, it's, you know, for, for, you know, maybe, maybe not if you're like a well-paid programmer, that's not a ton of money, but, um, for businesses, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy buy to explore something that could be a whole line of business for them. Um, and then definitely seeing a lot of these applications, you know, like, like retail applications, these front of office applications that it's kind of a no brainer things like, like you said, on the temperature screening, the, the return on investment is, is so clear, right? If you're paying a few thousand dollars for the solution, I mean, that pays for itself in a couple of weeks if somebody sitting there with the thermometer. Um, sure. and, and businesses like retail businesses being able to compete with online businesses like Amazon, right? How do retailers start to, start to innovate a little bit um, so they don't lose all their business? I mean, just, just things like, just simple things like like unassisted retailers like Walmart. I mean, literally, I've had two use cases of just product location in the last month. Like I, I went Saturday, was driving over. Um, my girlfriend is vegan. I needed to find the Beyond Meat, and it took me twenty minutes to find it. I was like, "Where where's the robot that I can ask where the Beyond Meat is?" And I finally found it. You know, like on the on the lower on the lower shelf way in the back um literally walking around for 20 minutes like we need we need robots like they can help us with this stuff right and the return on investment is there they don't need to put you know tons of staff around it doesn't make sense for them well you even look at things like instacart and like all that like i you know i'm sitting there i was at, at the pet store with my kids buying a cat toy and some dude standing next to me, he's like, do you know if this has catnip in it? And I was like, I have no idea. He goes, oh, man, I'm just trying to get this Instacart order filled. And he was a shopper, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, how much time do you waste figuring that out? And, you know, there's a, um, a friend of mine has a, a startup here in Kansas City called Homebase, and they basically work with apartment complexes to help. They, they're, it's lock technology to open your door. And he was explaining to me how an average apartment complex for a, for a maintenance person for an hour, that person generally spends half of their time just trying to get in and out. 
mm-hmm. you know, cause you know, like the, you know, and then also people leaving work to go let someone in yeah. just to turn a key yep, and then wait, you know, and, and so he refers to time arbitrage and it's a, and it's a great, it's a great example because you can't make more time. So you have yeah. to better utilize the time that you have and find little bits of efficiency. And I, I'm kind of nutty about that myself. It's like, my wife was saying, Hey, I've got all this, like all these, this infant stuff. Maybe I'll sell it on Facebook marketplace. And of course me, I'm sitting there going, you're going to need to do at least a hundred dollars per transaction to make that worth your time. She's like, I'm just trying to, to have a garage sale kind of online. Like, I'm like, yeah, but you know, my not so she didn't really care. Cause I don't think that we're probably going to analyze that business in the end for efficiency, but you know, maybe if we had a robot, we could pack it all up. We could have the stuff listed online. There is a lot of stuff going on with that. And I, and I would imagine that, you know, kids in school are seeing a lot more of that. One of the things that really has surprised me with uh, my world travels associated with full scale was in the Philippines 25, 30 years ago, they were doing a lot of robotic stuff. And uh, we have a ton of employees that were in early stage robotics programs. I mean, they're close to my age, you know, and I didn't get any of that stuff when we were growing up. You know, I have like the Apple IIe and other stuff, but uh, it's amazing how uh, a lot of countries have kind of put themselves ahead of the curve with a lot of that. And some of it in that case was it's, it had, they wanted to identify who their smartest students were. So it's at some point it's, Hey, let's let them build robots. Okay. You know, so, and, and it seemed to have worked because we have, like I said, we have a lot of, a lot of uh, developers that were in that program. We have one, his nickname is boy genius, even though he's coming up on 40. Cause when he was like 10, he was in a robotics thing and, and killed it. You know, it was, and, and now he is a computer vision developer that does embedded software and does, he's got his name on a couple US patents and stuff like that. So, uh, so when it comes, and we were talking about commercial applications, I should let you know. And once again, a quick reminder that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by FullScale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. And that's my next question is how, how difficult is it for you? to scale your business upward when there aren't a ton of people here in the US like it, when it comes to computer vision if you have any experience with it you're <laughs> kind of rare i mean if you have 3 years of experience with it you have a ton i know a guy here in Kansas yeah. City that has t- 10 years and i asked him i said how many people he's actually got more than that i said how many people have this level of experience and he's like a couple hundred I, I asked him, I said, it may be, maybe more. I said, where do they work? And he said, they probably work for the NSA. So, <laughs> I mean, you are, you are hundred percent accurate and computer vision is the, the hardest role for us to find by far. And I remember when we were just starting the company and we talked to one of our investors, the investor was like, these people are going to want half or a million dollar salaries and two, like 2% of your company. And we're like, there's no way, there's no way. Like, well, and and there's also no way that we could afford that as a startup. Right. And sure enough, we went out and we started talking to people and people with like five, six years of experience were asking five, $600,000 salaries and several percent of the company. 
Um, Since there's so few, it, there's so few of them. It's just simple, like supply and demand equilibrium, you know. Well, and they, then they all get they all get snatched yeah. up. But like you said, the NSA or Amazon Apple. or Uber or Uber or someone, because yeah. one one thing a lot of people don't know is computer vision's powering all all the self-driven cars. And then it's everywhere. Like, you know, like there's even, you know, instances like you'll eventually just put your groceries on the conveyor belt. And as they go by computer vision, is going to scan them yep. and ring it all up. That's like the kind of stuff that it's working. And they're, and, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then some of it, some of it too is, uh, you know, it's been kind of interesting because you talk about embedded software and the C plus plus developers, like, un, like undergoing a huge renaissance because that was kind of uh, that programming language was getting a little it was a little out of style and now it's come back because it's one of the lightest weight ways to run computer vision so if you have hardware applications especially things that could drain a battery or need to run quickly you don't get a whole lot of choices for what's going to play well in there I think that's the I think Python's in that same boat but it's not as in some cases, you, you get one choice, and that, and by the way, finding a, a C plus plus developers at a senior level is is often challenging as well. So, what are you going to do? Maybe build a robot to do it for you. There you go. I mean, one of the challenges now it's now we're having silicon shortages, right? All these GPUs, mm -hmm. so you need a lot of compute in um, video boards. So, I mean, just thinking about the compute side of it, it's enabling this computer vision these algorithms to even run. But of course now everybody's buying up all the uh, graphics cards for mining crypto. And, and now we have a massive silicon shortage just for not just graphics cards, but any chips, like any of our lead times for any components for anybody. Which affects everything. Components. Affects everything from cars to all yep. of it. Yep. All of it. It all has chips in it now. And then now they're like, shit, where are all the chips? Yeah. So. I mean, what do you like? What do you do when you can't get your parts? Like you can't you can't build your product. <laughs> yeah, and that and that's real. And that's real. That was one of the things. So you know, back to that kind of time frame. And I don't usually mention the dates that we record because this show will come out later down the road. But we're recording this on March twenty second. I had just returned from the Philippines after three weeks of, and a week worth of not knowing if I was stuck there. Um, so I went through a lot of stuff, but I recorded a series of, uh, I called them the Corona diaries, largely because I was expecting to be back. I wasn't expecting a last lapse in publishing, but I felt like I should probably document and try to help people. But one of the main things that, you know, as the pandemic was becoming a real thing, uh, you had a lot of companies, a, a lot of private equity groups, uh, Sequoia being one of them, that were publishing the equivalent of white papers, basically saying, look, this is what you can and could and should expect or prepare for. And, the, and, and nearly at the top of the list was supply chain interruption. And then you get geopolitical bullshit on top of it. And, you know, because what you're talking about is some of the rare earth minerals that we use in a lot of things like cell phones and whatever. Well, we don't have a whole lot of them here in the United North America. And a lot of them are in China. And, you know, they're talking, you know, all of a sudden, hey, we've got it all. Hmm. Doesn't it doesn't take a machine learning algorithm or artificial intelligence to figure out supply and demand, which is absolutely is, is called a law. When you get to something in life and it's called a law, like the law of gravity, that means that you really can't break it. 
it's it's difficult to overcome and supply and demand in business is just you can't beat it i mean it's it, it exists and it'll affect everything and everyone and i think with the chip shortage and a lot of that i think that that's really going to become pronounced i've had more and more people saying that to me and bringing that up especially people i know that are in the hardware you know business so okay so we talked about a lot of stuff today and that was that was a very interesting i want to encourage everyone listening to go to mistyrobotics.com even if it's just to see what you should be doing at, uh, with your website, because I do want to commend you on that. It's I I have uh, no problem finding what you do, what the benefits are, what of what you do, as well as just basic tools for learning. Like I do not feel intimidated with your robot, and that's important because a confused mind almost always says no. So if I think, oh man, I'm going to spend a couple grand on a robot. And then I'm immediately wondering, okay, how am I going to get this to do anything? Because it probably says hello right out of the box. And then I'm wondering, okay, what next? So yeah, overall, now I, I end my episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle. And I, I'm going to buy you some time to prepare for that so you can sum up your comments for the day. I say my episodes. I'm not the only host of Startup Hustle. Make sure you tune in on Tuesdays. Join Andrew Morgans, the founder of Marknology, to talk all about Amazon and e-commerce. On Thursdays, you can join Lauren Conaway, the founder and CEO of Innovate Her. And she talks about all kinds of great stuff. If you haven't had enough Startup Hustle at that point, go over to YouTube, type, type Startup Hustle in the search box and check out Startup Hustle TV, where we're giving you a video version of the Startup Hustle podcast. And it's not just us talking on the podcast. Actually, there's none of it. It is up us live and personal uh, along with additional cast members of which that cast will be grown. If you want to get involved with Startup Hustle on any level, whether it be as a participant, a podcast guest, a member of Startup Hustle TV, or if you want to sponsor episodes, go to startuphustle.xyz. So once again with me today, Ian Bernstein, CEO and founder of Misty Robotics. It's mistyrobotics.com, link in the show notes. Go check out what they're doing. Now it's time for the Founders Freestyle. So, you know, you get I give you the mic to say whatever you want. You can make closing arguments. You can make a pitch. You can do whatever you want. So what would you like to say to everyone on the way out, sir? I mean, the robots are coming, so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> these robots are going to help us in our lives take all the stuff, all the shit that we don't want to do. Robots are going to help us with that stuff. So start thinking about those solutions um, that robots can can take off our plate and go to mrrobotics.com and get a Misty and start developing some of those skills. That's the quote of the day. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. I couldn't help but think about like Paul Revere, you know, the British are coming, the British are coming, but uh, with the robots, they are. I mean, you know, it's funny because I, I hear so many people talk about this and that. And, oh, it's going to, oh, AI is going to, you know, we're going to build the Terminator and it might kill us all. Maybe. I don't know. But they're going to they're gonna do it. They're going to find it. You're going to find out anyway, whether you like it or not. Because, you know, overall robotics, in, in my experience, especially on a commercial level, are overwhelmingly doing things that people don't want to do anyway. Like, assembly line crap 
and they do it better and more accurately, and it makes things better, faster, cheaper, which are three things in business that you really got to get to if you want to win. And, you know, like overall, it's like you were saying, it's like, you know, you're still quite a ways away from, from the true Rosie and the Jetsons, you know, now I welcome that. I welcome that and I'll be old by then. So maybe that robot will take care of me and do a lot of different stuff. But overall, I mean, this, I think the state and the current state of robotics is strong. I think it's interesting. Um, I mean, you can expect more affordability and accessibility and capability down the road. So wrap your arms around it and try to figure out what you can do at your business to try to save some time and money. I'm going to check up on you down the road, man. I want to I want to I want to learn more about what the robot's learning. So I'll I'll get out of here on this one and we'll catch up with you down the road. Yeah, it'd be fun. Thanks for Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.